Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm a realist, and not everyone's going to be vegan. But if you can eat more plants, it's definitely not going to increase your chances of chronic disease. That is entrepreneur and plant-based eating advocate Simon Hill. And this is episode 233 of the Osher Ginsberg podcast. Welcome to the Osher Ginsberg Podcast. I'm Osher. This is my show. If you don't know me, hi. I work on television in Australia. I pop up on radio every now and again. Sometimes I count roses and deliver date cards on television in the various Australian bachelor-related adventures. However, every Monday for the last few years, I've been right here having a conversation that you get to be a part of with someone you may know or someone you may not know, but Each week, I guarantee that you will hear something that makes you go, oh, really? I didn't know that. Oh, that's interesting. I might give that a shot. Uh, Something that'll hopefully make today better than yesterday. Because that's all you can really hope for, right? That's all we can really hope for. Stoked to have you here. Stoked for all the pictures you sent me through the week. I do love finding out where you listen to the show. Podcasts are a fantastic thing because you can enrich your brain as you're going from place to place, as you're doing things. I listen to a podcast as I made pancakes this morning. Uh, so do send me a photo if you can. If you're probably listening to this on a phone, use the camera in the phone. Send me a picture. It's called a podsy. It's like a selfie, but a podsy. Hashtag P-O-D-S-I-E. Uh, just whatever it is that you're doing right now, open up that camera app and take a photo of it. I'd love love to see where we get to be together. I do like to share a few of them when it's okay with the person that shares it with me back. Uh, this week, this podcast is being 40,000 feet above the Pacific Ocean with someone going to America on their own for the first time. Uh, it's been walking along the beach with a dog 
on the Margaret River beachfront, backstage at a community theatre in Abu Dhabi, and one person, after my own heart, on the bike at the gym, listening. Magnificent. I do love that I get to be a part of your week, and I and I and I'm grateful that that you get to be a part of mine. Yeah, you can either tag me on Instagram or send it to me on the emails. Send Osher email at gmail.com. I am on Instagram a lot uh, lately. Uh, so, uh, you know, I'm there if you need me. A big thank you to everybody that helped me get my coffee pour right this week. <laughs> if you've been following along on Instagram, it's been quite an adventure and I'm grateful for all the help. But in all the, you know, chatting on, on Instagram, there's a lot of people that I, I feel like, you know what, you, 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 you two should meet. Uh, so just as an experiment, I thought it might be a fun idea to get people together who listen to this show. It might not be for you. That's okay. For a long time, it wasn't for me. In fact, I had to create an account so I could do this. Uh, I just started a Facebook account uh, the other day so I could get on board with a bachelor group chat because I wanted to be a part of that for the big finale the other night. Um, and with that account, I thought, well, well, fuck it. I might just open a, a Facebook group like that bachelor one for this show. So if you go into groups in Facebook and you search the Osher Ginsberg podcast, you'll find it there. It's a closed group, uh, but I know the admin, so I'll be able to put a word in for you. Look, if, if there's only 10 of us, then there's 10 of us, and we're together talking about the stuff that happened on the show this week and maybe throwing some ideas around and, you know, seeing what we can do. How's that? Let's, see, let's just see what happens. Just go into your groups in Facebook, search for the Osher Ginsberg podcast, and... And we'll see what happens. We'll talk back next week and see how we go. At the moment, it's zero members. So let's see Let's see where we go. Look, um, if this show is, I've got to say, if this show is something that is a part of your week that you do look forward to, I would humbly ask you to consider a bit of a value exchange there. You know, for free, one thing you can do is you can tell someone else about the show. That is very, very helpful to us. Uh, you can rate the show. You can review it on iTunes. That is also incredibly helpful for the show. It helps other people find the show. If you have uh, a couple of bucks spare to rub together, please, patreon.com slash osher, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash osher. That's where you can send a couple of dollars our way. Podcasts are free to listen to, but they are not free to make, and I do need to pay my producers, Andy and Haley to make this show with me every week. Um, and so that money does go a long way to help then. H- how are you doing? How is everything with you? Are you okay? Are you good this day? Is today better than yesterday? Just asking that question to find out. To check in with you, I'm doing okay. I'm like, uh, yeah, I'm okay. I'm doing, all, I'm doing all right. There's bumps in the road for me at the moment, um, but I am finding that with the work that I'm doing, I'm more emotionally resilient than I used to be. A short version, short story, story is that I, uh, if you, this is your first episode, um, I'm Osher. Hi. I have a different brain. A couple of years ago, I went through uh, psychosis. I was experiencing paranoid delusions. It was really horrible. I live with obsessive compulsive disorder and generalized anxiety. And over the last uh, little while towards the end of last year, I was coming down, 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 down off my meds. I've been off meds since December the 6th, 2017. Uh, and I saw my psychiatrist the other day, still off meds. So definitely under supervision, definitely under close you know, scrutiny of someone who has a healthy brain and can help me make good decisions. Um, but there's lots of other things that I'm doing to take the place of those meds in my life because you can't just stop taking meds and think everything's going to be sweet. It won't. You've got to put something else in their place. So uh, yeah, like I said, you know, I, I weaned off the meds very, very slowly and um, 
and it was rocky at the start, but things do seem to be stabilising. What am I, six, five months in? And that's in no small part to the work that I'm doing, the writing I'm doing every morning, trying to get to the gym every single day. This is a massive part of me feeling better. If I can't get to the gym, I will go out in the backyard and I'll throw some kettlebells around. Well, I have our kettlebell. Uh, and I do, I try to make sure that I get on my bike whenever I can. I work my mind every morning. I work my body every day. And that seems to be helping a lot. If I miss a workout day, it's hard to be in my head. If I miss the writing, it's hard to be in my head. When I get, when I get them done, the day's easier. When I get to the gym and I get on the bike, it's way, way better. Now, I feel better in myself when I know that makes me a better human to be around because I don't live in a vacuum. I, I work in a, a very, very close, very intimate work environment. I have a close and intimate family environment, and I've got to take responsibility for the fact that I can be a punish if I don't get these things done. So I've got to get it done. I did tell you last week that I had a big milestone when it came to my anxiety um, to describe a little more how things are feeling in my head. Uh, when it comes to how I was have been, was reacting to anxiety triggers and how I'm reacting to anxiety triggers now or OCD triggers and how I'm reacting to them now. So I'd put it this way. About a year ago, if I was sitting in a nice warm bath, candles burning, Curtis Mayfield on the, on the, on the speaker, if I was sitting in a nice warm bath and, it, you know, the water's lovely, when an anxiety trigger came along, it was like basically someone standing over the bath and and throwing a 10-pound bowling ball right into the bathtub, all right? It's an enormous shock, splashes everywhere, makes a lot of noise. Everything gets smashed, takes a long time to clean up, takes a long time to calm down after something disturbing your serenity like that. But as I work out more, as I write more, as I meditate more, that bathtub had become a spa bath. And now it's about the size of an above-ground pool that we used to have in the backyards in Queensland back in the day. The trigger's still a bowling ball. It's still being dropped from a great height. But now I can kind of move away from it. Does that make sense? There's still waves. There's still ripples. There's still a big splash. It's still go, I still go, whoa. still affects me. But my ability to absorb that trigger is getting better and better. Eventually, if I keep doing the work, I can see that there's progress. Eventually, I might get it to the point where I'm an in-ground pool. I might get to the point where I'm an Olympic pool. One day, an ocean. Does that make sense? Just, I can feel that when I have tough days, when I don't do the things I was telling you about, that body of water shrinks, all right? And I'm, I'm, I'm not as resilient. But on the good days, that body of water expands and... The idea is to, to keep keep it expanding. Like, yeah, the, the, the trigger hits, the, the splash happens, the, the waves wash over me, but then lately they've been able to kind of wash and then they might bounce off the side and come back and then, but then, then they're gone. They don't just kind of just go all day, which used to happen. I hope that makes sense. I hope there wasn't too much of a weird analogy, but that's kind of where things are going. And I do know that if, uh, you know, like I told you, the days that I miss my writing, my meditation, my, my gym and whatever, I've got to do it. It's a lot of shit to do, buddy. Got to do it. Um, uh, it's hard to do if I don't, you know, it's hard to 
I feel like I'm sitting in a sink <laughs> some days. I guess another really important part of this change in my brain that I'm trying to maintain is uh, has been what I am what I'm eating. Now, while I've I have only eaten plants since 2002, uh, there were times when I was essentially a junk food vegan. I gained a lot of weight, and then when the antipsychotic meds showed up, and then it got way worse. But uh, right now, I am eating better than I've ever eaten in my life, and at the moment, I look honestly, I feel incredible for it. And it was in finding inspiration about what I'm eating. Well, that that's how I cross paths with my guest today. Simon Hill is an entrepreneur, an advocate for plant-based eating, and an incredibly fit man. <laughs> Originally from Melbourne, he's now based in Bondi Beach. You can find him on Instagram at plantproof, one word. And he's just launched the full version of plantproof.com, which is basically a guide to living a plant-based life for people who are more on the active side of things, people who move their bodies more, try to keep as fit as possible. Simon's story is just remarkable. He is one of Australia's most successful young entrepreneurs, investors, and advisors. As we talked, he was very humble about his businesses just casually dropping, oh, yeah, I started a tea company when I was working as a physiotherapist. Now, the tea company that he's referring to is the absolutely massive yourtea.com, which basically gives people access to the, the herbs and teas used in traditional Chinese medicine, but from a more kind of mainstream outlet. Um, but you'd never know. He's one of Australia's most successful entrepreneurs. He's He's, he's one of the people behind Organic Village Foods. He's one of the people behind Bean Body Care. He's a very smart, very humble man, devastatingly handsome and with eyes like turquoise tropical lagoons. Uh, <laughs> oh, look at his Instagram. You know what I'm talking about. Simon's focus now is on advocating for a plant-based lifestyle. Now, if you look at a photo of him, you'll realize that he's cut like a chopped salad. The man works out. And plant-proof... The current thing that he's he's here to talk about today, Plant Proof was inspired by his own experience in transitioning from eating animals to eating a plant-based diet. Now, as he and I start to talk about it and as we discuss, initially he shared many common fears that people have if they are on the more fit side of things or the more athletic in the way they live their life. He shared many common fears that, that men and women may, sh- may feel if, if they're doing this kind of transition. Um, if, I, if I stop being meat, am I going to lose all this muscle? Uh, with all those carbs, am I going to get fat? Um, what about, you know, am I going to have enough iron? Where do I get my protein? These are questions that a lot of people have when it comes to transitioning to a plant-based diet. There are answers to all of these questions. We talk about most of them in this show. What I do love most about Simon isn't, just his inspirational journey. It isn't just the way that he carries himself and identifies incredible business opportunities and goes after them and then just creating a life that is one that he wants to live. But Simon doesn't just throw health claims around willy-nilly. He only talks about stuff that is backed up by hard science. He won't make a claim that isn't backed by a reference to a peer-reviewed journal study. And in this day of Instagram experts touting miracle cures, that is a very important thing to have, all right? You can't just become a nutrition expert or an expert on Instagram with a, new, with a macro lens and some glycerin spray. You, can, you know, the food might look good, but you've got to know what you're talking about. You couldn't lead people astray. 
So to add even more clout to what he's talking about, Simon is currently studying a master's in nutrition so that he can come at anyone with nothing but the cold, hard facts at 50 paces. He's a great guy. I hope you enjoy getting to know him. Enjoy Conversation with Simon Hill. Hi, Simon. Thank you for having me. Thanks for having Thanks for coming. Super, thanks for being okay. Pumped. Super pumped. Thanks for coming. Thanks for being here. Um, just so for people listening, uh, there's a camera crew following me around today. So you are on film right now. Um, and, and what I'm really grateful for is they film me making your coffee and it was a really good pour. Yeah, it looks delicious. So. You should have a sip. <laughs> you should take a sip. I take a sip of this water. Cheers. Cheers, man. Yeah, that that is uh, certainly up to standard, and is a is a great drop coming home from uh, America, where I found it a little difficult. I lived there for ten years, and I was never. I was like, "How did you put someone on the moon with this coffee?" <laughs> yeah, it's we're uh, terrible. We're pretty lucky here. Yeah, certainly. there's an espresso machine at every corner. <laughs> Everyone's a barista here, and you get to America, and they give you that drip filter shit stuff, and it's like, "Well, the fuck is this?" Um, anyway, mate, I'm grateful. I'm grateful you could be here. Um, you live. Uh, you live in Bondi. Yeah, just two suburbs away. It's two suburbs away. We're here in Bronte now. Uh, did you Did you grow up there? Did you grow up in Sydney? What part of the world are you from? No, actually, I, I moved to Bondi. 2013 so yeah five years ago now which um has gone really really quickly yeah uh before that i had lived in sydney for a year in 2011 yeah and that was just meant to be a short-term thing for work yeah um fell in love with the beaches and the lifestyle and went back to melbourne which is where i am originally from oh yeah and decided that I would make a permanent move. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I packed everything up and, yeah, I'm here now. What work brought you to Sydney? Um, I've got uh, a bunch of different e-commerce brands and one of those in particular, which is in the, in the tea industry. Uh, we have an office here and a bunch of fellas up here that I work with and, yeah, it was just nice to be closer to them. In, re- in reality, I could have stayed in Melbourne and done it, everything, you know, via internet and phone, but yeah. the lifestyle sort of got me over the edge there. So hang on, so you you manufacture yeah and import tea yeah that's awesome yeah so about 2011 or 12 I was returning from a trip to Bali and just a just a, a leisure trip not business related at all and I got a bit sick towards the end of the trip as you know as you can in in Bali yeah and when I came home my digestion just was it was off and. I've always been a little bit sort of into Eastern medicine yeah. and, and not the traditional sort of go to the doctor and, and sort of cover up potentially what the actual issue is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Treating the symptom, not yeah, the cause. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I, I definitely see a place for Western medicine. But on this occasion, I thought, look, I, I really want to get my stomach right. There's something not right here. And, and a girl in my office in Melbourne, she was always cooking up these weird herbs. Like I'm talking, these herbs were stinking out the entire office. Yeah. And, you know, I was, I was sort of in charge of the office, so I was dealing with complaints from the other staff saying, you know, maybe she should, should do that at home. And I started probing her and asking her about these herbs, and she was saying she was visiting a Chinese doctor, and the Chinese doctor was helping her with various ailments. Anyway, long story short, I came home with digestive issues from Bali. She suggested go and see this Chinese doctor who is, you know, I thought at the time, oh, this, this is going to be a quack doctor. What's, what am I walking into here? And I went in there and I, I, I did it. I like trying new things. I went in there and gave it a go. And I was pleasantly surprised that the herbs that I got, they worked, 
but I was more surprised by just behind the counter. He had a whole heap of herbs and they were just in like, you know, clear containers but had been labelled sort of like skin, kidney, liver, uh, hair, digestion. And, you know, at that time social media was was just sort of getting really popular from a photograph point of view. And I thought, look, maybe we could commercialise something like this but make it more accessible to the mass market rather than having to go see a Chinese doctor and get these herbs that stink the house out. Literally, they do. We could use the herbs and make it, it easier to consume in the form of tea but using the Chinese medicine principles and uh, market it through social media, and that's what we did. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, here in this house, we are we are well and truly down with the uh, with the Chinese doctor. I think Audrey, my wife, is um, so my stepdaughter is in the other room, but who you just met, and and Audrey's in the other room. Um, but they got here from Fiji. Audrey got here from Fiji when she was a kid in the, in the late eighties, and I think like the, within three weeks or three months, she was already at the Chinese doctor here in Street. 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 Yeah, and so we've got the we've got the weird pot and the stinky. It's all it's all happening. Yeah. We've got the you know they get the ones with cicadas on it. You know. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like yeah. so, it's all it's all it all happens here. And in fact, when we first started dating, um, I went to I went to Splendid in the Grass, and in two thousand fourteen, there was just some fucking super flu that just decimated anyone that went there, you know, and there was a bunch of people came back that were just so, so sick, um, as happens when you can get a lot of people in the same place at the same time. And I was just absolutely fucked. And Audrey's like, you got to go see Kevin. you got to go. So I went to go see Kevin who's, I don't know, proper big trouble in little China, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of guy with this full shock of hair. I'm like, well, how are you that old and still got all you? David Lopan, <laughs> David Lopan lives. Um but yeah, I got better. <laughs> and be, to be honest, though, Simon, like, don't care if it was a placebo. Yeah, I got better. That's right. And that's what you know. So, and since then, um, yeah, Kevin, Kevin's there, <laughs> which is which is real interesting. Uh, but so, tell me about when when you grew up. Obviously, you're you're someone that you know, takes enormous care about what you put into your body. You're someone that takes enormous care about what you do with your body. Was it always this way? Were, were your parents like that? Well, yeah, look, if we go right back to the very beginning yeah. and um, I guess have a look at my parents. So my my parents are both from Melbourne and um, kind of cliche little scenario here where my father is an academic doctor. He does research in, on diabetes and vascular disease and my mother is a nurse and they met at a hospital. He left a note on her uh, car. Yeah, he did. <laughs> yep. What so, did the note say? So he left the note and he asked her out and the rest is history there. So they both come from a medical background. Yeah. And no doubt. So do my parents. Both my parents are doctors. Yeah. So, you know, no doubt just subconsciously growing up, that has an effect on how much importance you place on health and, yeah. and wellness. But also how you look at the world. Yeah. Also like where evidence plays a role in your action. Exactly. And, and my dad is very evidence-based, you know, being academic. He, he's, he's worked his whole life on writing um, and publishing clinical papers. So I've sort of had that, you know, make sure you're using evidence type of uh, mentality, you know, all the way through growing up, high school, university and whatnot. When you were a kid growing up, were you the one that brought different lunches to school? Was nutrition a part of what your parents were doing? Not, not really. My... My mum in particular was always interested in 
the you know superfoods from probably like before superfood was even a word yeah. so like the you know weird stuff would always turn up on our doorstep when i was you know in primary school and and like things like chia seeds and various superfoods they really? were normal for me wow you know growing up so um when i say normal like I, I, did, I didn't look at them as a main source of nutrition, but I certainly was around them and they were added to meals. And um, so I've been having those sorts of things for a lot of, a lot of years. Yeah. But in terms of taking lunch to school, pretty typical. I think although my parents come from a medical background, um, you know, they're, they, they sort of just like everyone else had, you know, normal thoughts and beliefs about what was healthy eating. Mm. So I was just eating, I guess, a typical diet in Australia growing up as a kid. Yeah. And, um, you know, quite often at the, the kiosk or canteen at school, yeah. you know, buying chocolate bars and sausage rolls and, oh, right, right. you know, meat pies. Yeah, you're a so teenager. Like, I was a teenager, yeah. but I didn't know any better. And um, I was, you know, at that time of my life, I was playing a lot of sport you know, all through primary and secondary school, both inside school and outside school. So five, six days a week, games and trainings. Uh, so it was pretty much impossible for me to see any physical sign of eating that way. You yeah. know, I was, I, was, I was not overweight. I was, you know, in shape for a kid, so to speak. And I think towards my last couple of years of high school was when I started to make a real shift in what I saw as healthy. And it probably when I was 17, I cut drinking milk. Why? What, what made you do that? And it was nothing other than the fact that I started to actually recognize uh, and, and listen to my body and felt that after I was having milk, I was, I was lethargic and tired. And what, what used to be me thinking that that was normal, I started to think, well, maybe, maybe that food's not agreeing with me. So I cut that out. So I was no, I used to drink milk by the glass because I'd see the TV ads and I thought, I'm playing for sport five days a week. I need my calcium. And There's a sporty kid on the ad. You know, I just listened to that. It was definitely not my parents saying to do it. I was actively drinking, thinking I'm going to go to the fridge, got to have my glass of milk. Uh, Were you the kind, I know at our school, the tuck shop would stock two litre bottles of milk just for the rowers and footy players yeah. and they would sell it over the counter and you'd see these dudes at lunch with a meat pie and they would drink two litres of 100%. milk at lunch. Yeah, walking around with a thing of milk was, that was, that was normal. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I think they were, what were the big M's? Yeah, yeah big oh M's, yeah, the flavoured flavored ones. Oh my like they God. Were, they were popular from everyone. Well, that comes with a lot of uh, everything else, doesn't yeah. it? But so you, you started noticing, what made you go, maybe I might try not having milk? Was it someone that went, maybe give that a shot or... No, I, I mean, if I look back now on it, I think, wow, I wasn't even educated to make that decision. Yeah. I just thought, um, I'm going to see how I go with, yeah, okay. without having it. And so I didn't, I cut the yogurt and I cut the, the milk. And I felt instantly better, you know, for me personally. They, I wouldn't say I was like overly lactose intolerant, like diagnosed or anything like that, but I could feel it wasn't right for me. Yeah. Cut it, felt instantly better, my energy, whatnot. So then, you know, from that time on, I've never ordered cow's milk. I've always had plant milks in coffees. I now drink espresso, but I did for a while have lattes and I'd be having, you know, soy and then almond. I went through all that. I had the same thing as well. It's too much margin for error yeah, around soy and 100%. almond milk. Like, it's so easy to, to burn, so easy 100%. for a, a barista to not get it right. It's like, no, nah, man, now my, now my coffee is disgusting, but it cost me $5. Yeah. So going for the... Single and it takes is, a lot longer to get it down if it tastes bad. Yeah, exactly. And I think, 
you know, going to Europe and, and America, I really just started to realise that ordering the espresso is a much safer option. And it tastes, it tastes better. <laughs> it, tastes, it tastes way, way better. It's funny you mentioned that about stopping dairy. Like I, my, I, I'd stopped eating so much meat, um, but I was still eating, you know, maybe – First one less meat meal a week, and then yeah. and then like way less, and then eventually it was only one meat one meat meal a week, maybe yeah. chicken, maybe fish. Um, but dairy was the first thing for me to go, and that was really I, I moved in with a when I was twenty one. I had my first living girlfriend, and she was lactose intolerant, so therefore I was lactose intolerant. Yeah. Like we stopped eating it. So it was just a natural. Of thing. all the things I stopped eating, I don't know if it's the same for you, but of all the things I stopped eating, dairy was the most significant change for me as far as what my body did after I stopped eating it. Like. Uh, I could smell things better. I could mm-hmm. taste things better. My skin cleared up. I didn't have this because I was doing radio, so I was really aware of how my voice sounded. Mm-hmm. I didn't have this constant just kind of river of goo in the back of my yeah, mouth. Yeah, it's like an inflammatory <laughs> yeah. type thing. Yeah, yeah. It was the most most significant change in my body was was not eating dairy, and that again, you know, similarly, yeah, it was just the thing that I just mm, it wasn't even my choice to be honest. But once I noticed it feeling different, I was like, oh, I might yeah. keep doing this. There's no going back. Once yeah, you yeah, yeah. Felt that different. So what happened after that? Did you did so you then, see what else can I go? Or no, did you- I, you know, to be honest, I just I left it at that. And I, then he turned 18 and beer became a thing and it was on. You know, exactly. So I started <laughs> to, I, I cut that and I because I hadn't done it on a real health quest. Yeah. I'd just done it because it felt right at the time. I wasn't, it wasn't, you know, necessary for me at the time to keep delving deeper into animal products. Yeah. At that stage, I wasn't. I wasn't even at the – I didn't have the capacity, I don't think, as an 18-year-old to understand what was happening. Um, And I don't know that the education was there as it is now to explain it to me. So I went to university. I was going to do medicine and I was going to have to move to Tasmania. And I didn't want to move to Tasmania. Was there pressure from your folks to do that? No, it wasn't wasn't pressure. I Like going through high school, I had – I had a couple of I, – I love science and I wanted to either be a, a medical doctor or I, I also was relatively good in my legal studies and I was thinking about maybe like a um, – in the pharmaceutical world, like a patenting type of lawyer that works with new drugs and whatnot. Anyway, I, I did pretty well in my last year of high school for someone that leading up the five years before that was just playing sport. And, and not focusing too, too much. I didn't go down to Tasmania and I did it. I did physiotherapy in Melbourne because I had some friends doing it. I wanted to stay in Melbourne. So I went and did that course. And after a year, I was going to leave and I had a transfer to go and do law science. And they gave me my reading list at this. I went and did it, the orientation. They gave me my reading list. And that was one thing I always hated was like just too much reading. I like to I like to look at you know anatomy and images and whatnot, um, so I canned that and, and continued my physiotherapy degree. But really knowing in the back of my mind that I don't think I'm going to be a physiotherapist for life. I, I loved the course and doing it with my friends, but I just I didn't have the sort of deep down passion to turn that into a lifelong thing. Um, so I, I continued that, and I'd say through that four year course, I my university parting habits you know lifted you're, you're drinking more um you're you know i wasn't playing as much sport and i didn't necessarily blow out but my body was not conditioned 
you know, it's knowing your condition to what it is now. I feel younger now than I did then. Um, but that's what sort of drinking three, four nights a week does. And that's, that's university. So I finished that course and went and I got a really good job with um, Paran Sports Medicine Centre in Melbourne, which is probably the best private practice in Melbourne to work as a physio. You're with, you're with all the medical doctors, you're with all the AFL doctors. And I got a job working with the Richmond Football Club and Coburg. Wow. And, you know, the, I sort of felt guilty because I didn't see physiotherapy as a lifelong career. And here I was, you know, had found this amazing position. That's as for a physio, that's about as good as it gets. I know, like as, my, with a pro club, with a club that's not going to go anywhere, with working with medical doctors who are right there in the same building who will say, just go down the hall, go see Simon. Yeah. He'll work on that for you. So I was like a little bit intimidated. Um, I probably was a bit second questioning why me, like what was I doing there? Yeah. Um, but I, I think I had a, a pretty good knack when I was young just to be able to be confident with the patients and the players and be able to talk through things, and that's probably how I ended up there. Yeah. Not necessarily that I knew the most. That wasn't the case. Um, <laughs> so I did that, and I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed the football side of things and the camaraderie and whatnot. But – at the same time, and, and I was, you know, I was dedicated to it. I was super dedicated. I was, you know, in physiotherapy, I was number one in the anatomy in the whole course. I did um, extra study in terms of in the, in the off year, I'd go and dissect the cadavers, which is like getting the bodies prepared. Wait, okay, what's that like? What's the first? So that's crazy. Like, yeah. I, okay, so like think about it, 35 degrees in Melbourne, 40 degrees, Friends are going to the beach, and here I was. I'd signed up to go and cut, cut back, dissect human bodies who have donated their bodies for academic purposes. And then I just remember sitting in the room, and I'd put music on because it was the only way that could keep me sane. The smell was horrendous. This smell, like chlorinated dead body smell. And I had a, a, a manual, and I had to very, very carefully dissect back to whatever layer that body was um, being used for in a class and put flags in. Oh, so you had to prepare the cadaver yeah. for the class. So I'd have a bit of manuscript and it would be like, okay, you need to show coronary artery in this position. You need to show this muscle, this muscle, this muscle. And then I'd have to wow. dissect back without ruining the cadaver. Wow. I was, I was 21. Doing That's that. amazing. <laughs> it's got to be fascinating though. It's Yeah, it's like that gave me – a real understanding of what the body looks like under our skin. I mean, how else can you know that? You can yeah. see it in books, but when you're cutting it back and physically seeing it in 3D, it's incredible. And it's just a direct line to the start of science and the enlightenment. And it was mm. only once we started cutting up human bodies and just, you know, really going, oh, this thing works there. And like you see yeah. these old pictures of ancient, ancient, ancient uh, autopsies uh, with everyone watching on and going, wow, look at that. Look, let's pull the nerves out. This is wild. Like in the, in the 1400s or 1200s or whatever. That's mental. Yeah. That's, that's so cool. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, my friends thought I was crazy doing this, but I did it. Uh, I did it all summer. It was great money. They paid me really good money to do it, the university. And What would you say to people who might be freaked out about being in a room full of dead bodies? What did you learn about being around dead humans you 
once you get used to the smell, it's fine. Yeah. You know, that the smell is the biggest thing I had to overcome. But we've been conditioned by horror movies that they're all going to sit up and, and do weird <laughs> shit. Yeah. And there, it wasn't like there was just one body. There was cabinets and that, the ones that I wasn't working on, they were like standing up. So it was like, it was like out of a horror movie. Right. But it's, it's just my mum used to talk about this. She's like, it's just a thing. When it's not a human, when it's not alive anymore, it's just another, it's just a thing. Yeah, and they screw, they make sure that you obviously don't know any of them and there's no identity type of, yeah. you're not you're not associating, you know, there's no emotions yeah. on that side of things. So um, you take the emotion out of it and you're reading a bit of paper and you're really doing it in a really structured manner. Yeah, but it would have been fascinating. At the, at the it was end. amazing. Like I can, you know, I can still remember most of the muscles in the body because of that. What's it like when you're working on someone who's, clearly not had a great life. I mean, I've only ever seen it from that, oh, what's that, that fantastic Austrian guy, the totally interesting dude with a weird hat who does the plastination, the body works. Um, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, he's a very interesting cat, eccentric dude. And But I've only, I went to London when I was in London for a work thing once. I went and saw the, the and I'd seen the, where they, they cut the bodies up and they kind of preserve them in the plastic and, and you can kind of then just look at it straight like so it's a human body but it's almost it's so preserved and the difference between a healthy heart and a heart with coronary yeah. disease. What was it like the first time you pulled apart a heart that had like blocked arteries and stuff like that? Did you see? A, yeah, there's a significant difference in what you're looking at both in terms of often in size and what the inflammation has done to yeah. the vessels and um, thickness of the artery is a big one. Stiffness, like they're different textures. What's it feel like? So, you know, a lot of the ones that have had cardiovascular diseases, they're, they're a lot stiffer, so they're harder to cut through. What um, would it be like al dente spaghetti versus, yeah. you know, spaghetti that you've has only been in the water for five minutes? Yeah. Wow. You know, and, and, and you don't want it to be overly stiff because then that, that's when you get all sorts of things like bits chipping off and causing heart attacks Whoa. and strokes and whatnot. Did that change the way that you then, you know, ate? I think, <laughs> well, you know, I wouldn't say instantly, but I was becoming more aware. Yeah. You know, I was definitely becoming more aware. But I think, like most people, I hadn't connected all the dots yet. Yeah. And um, it's not until you sort of connect everything up that you decide to make some rather large decisions around your own eating. Yeah. But, yeah, I, th I think sort of moving on from that, so I went and finished university and had that job as a physiotherapist. And, and where I really started to then get interested in nutrition was we were like rehabilitating players, placing so much emphasis on the, the – the rehab side of things in terms of um, stretching mm. and building up strength. And there's so much at stake. These these, yeah. these men are being paid sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars. The club is millions of dollars will come and go if a point mm. does or doesn't get scored or if that person does yeah. or doesn't get on the field that weekend. Stakes are yeah. high. And, and, I mean, there was tears. Like these young players, they're under immense pressure. If they don't make it and they don't get, you know, enough opportunity in the first few years, then they're out of the system. You know, and for a lot of them, that's pretty daunting when they've dedicated, you know, every weekend of their life since they were like 13 or mm. younger mm. To, to make it. You know, the, their career sort of after that, they haven't really thought about it for most of them. But no time to. So there was heaps, a lot of tears and a lot of emotions. And I think I started to really see, though, that although nutrition was, I guess, had some emphasis, there wasn't any real strong emphasis on what these guys were eating. Yeah. And... I think that's when I started to realize that if I can 
you know, in future make a bigger difference on, on whether it's athletes or, you know, anyone that's sick. It needs to be not only about the physical side of, of rehab and looking at the body and biomechanics, but it needs to be about what they're eating in order to prevent the injury in the first place, potentially. Mm. But also once they are injured, how to fuel their body with the right stuff to speed up the recovery and get the best result. Where did you start with your exploration around that? It was it was mostly personal research. After that, I, I'm 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 now back at university and doing a master's in nutrition. Um, as a 31 year old, so I always laughed that I'd be at university for life. I'm, I'm back at university now, so maybe we'll end up that way. <laughs> um, but I think there was a bit of a gap there where you know I talked about the tea company, so I had yeah. gone and and I guess slightly pivoted from my university and, and sort of early career and then that started consuming a lot of time yeah so there was a little window there where i focused on on the e-commerce and business and i was yeah. doing my own sort of what made you be done with physio i mean that's a significant career change yeah it was what was the moment where you're like i'm done with this physio thing it was tough i you know i remember walking into the office at the Paran sports medicine center and like again like i said before i felt guilty that i had the job and then to be able to 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 walk up to the director of it after being given this opportunity and to resign. Um, and everyone there knew I was lucky to have the opportunity. Like it was a thing. They don't hire new grads. Yeah. Everyone there's experienced. Like it, it was unheard of. Um, so it was challenging. I was very nervous walking into that office. And I think I just, at that time, I'd already started my business side of things sort of out of hours. So I knew I had something I really wanted to dig dig into, sink my teeth into, and I told the director that, you know, perhaps I would come back, but at this stage I felt a little a little young in that environment. I wanted to go away and explore some other things and we'll see what happens. But deep down I knew that was probably it for me in physiotherapy. Yeah. Yeah. So you... I mean, you're leaving this extraordinary stability of, of, you know, perhaps, you know, going up through working into a club or, you know, starting a practice of your own. And that's a, that's a, that's a significant move. Yeah. I mean, it was a shock to, to all of my university friends and colleagues because they'd seen how hard I'd worked. Mm. And they had worked extremely hard. We'd all worked hard together. Like physio is kind of like high school. You're unlike a lot of business courses where you have different people in different, uh, what do you call it, seminars or tutorials. In physio, it's very just the way the curriculum works. It's very much like high school. You've got 30 students and you go through the whole year with them. Hmm. So you become close with everyone. I think everyone was really shocked. They probably thought I would come back, but um, I wanted to give something else a go and that's what I did. Right, and so that's when you you had this idea about you know, maybe I could make some money with this tea situation. Yeah, we'd already. We'd, it wasn't just like I decided to quit physio and I hadn't tested the markets. We'd already decided. We'd already tested the waters a little bit. Yeah. Um, we had established a brand and had started selling online, and you know sales were, were climbing really quickly. We were we were pretty, I guess not really set up that well at the start, like all startup companies. Um, I had people packing tea at my house at one stage and I think, you know, we pretty quickly built that business up in the first six months to some pretty remarkable numbers. Um, you know, I was chatting with the team last week. The business is still around now and between then and now, in terms of individual cups of tea, we've sold 43 million cups of tea. 
which a lot of tea. There's a lot of tea, you know. Obviously, they're not sold as individual. We sell in retail boxes, but we went back and calculated that. So a lot's transpired in that time. <laughs> That's extraordinary. Yeah. But at the same time, obviously, you're learning about, uh, you know, what people want, what people are prepared to pay for, and the search for an answer to how do I feel a little bit better. Yeah, it was super interesting. Like that, I found the marketing and the psychology side of things really interesting and building a community. We built a really strong community which with great content and they were loyal customers. They still are today. Um, but, yeah, we met people's needs with the tea. Yeah. So at what point... Uh, where, where's your eating at this point? Where's it, where are you physically at this point? Are you back on? I would, are you back yeah. on the workout plan? Like, what's yeah, the situation? So I'd say around this stage is when I was. Uh, I started training in the gym. You know, I, probably through university. That's when I was really introduced to training properly in the gym, and not just going and going through the motions. But I, at this stage, I was doing, I guess, your typical gym diet. So I wasn't eating a lot of processed foods, but I was having sweet potato, broccoli with some chicken or salmon, bit of red meat, not that much red meat. I was never huge into red meat. Um, I was having more chicken and, and fish um, and obviously no milk or cheese really at all. The only milk I'd have is if like sometimes milk sneaks into random products like in the supermarket or whatnot. Mm. So I wasn't that that picky, but... I wouldn't go out of my way to have dairy. Um, and but then, you're eating cleaner. You must have felt better. I was eating, yeah. So, I mean, health's a spectrum, right? So, like, there's your when you move to that sort of eating and coming off junk food and processed food, yes, you'll feel better. So, I yeah. felt better at yeah. that time. And so, when you say you, you first, you'd been to the gym before, but was it just, oh, I'll go, I'll do bicep curls, I'll do some squats, and I'll leave? Yeah, it was... Work out the mirror you know, muscles. I, I think... <laughs> You know, over the last decade, every every year that goes past, I get better knowledge in the gym. It's not like I've known everything from the start. So I kind of look back then, what I know now, and think, God, I was really just winging it. Um, I never applied it. I, but you've got to remember, I, going through physio, I understood the biomechanics of the body, and I still understand that. And once you have a good grasp of the movement patterns and where the muscles are, it's, it's pretty easy to, to load them. So right. I was applying that sort of knowledge to it, but I was never sort of, you know, into sort of buying all the magazines and downloading a lot of videos. And what did going to the gym do for you? What did it? A couple of things. It was an outlet, definitely an outlet. Um, outlet working, of what? Working big hours at that stage. So once that tea company took off, I was, um, you know, whenever I get stuck into something, I tend to commit to it. And I was doing maybe like literally 16 hours a day, so which is short sleeping and a couple hours off either side and we were packing tea all night and on top of that you're trying to do everything when you start a small business because you want to keep your costs down um so the gym was like that little bit of time where i could get out put the headphones in and um focus on something else probably the only time where i'd focus on myself while i was awake um yeah but that's that's what it takes yeah a lot of people don't want to know that but yeah. that's what it takes to have that kind of success yeah. is exactly what you're describing. Yeah, 100%. Like if I didn't put in those hours at the start on the business, then either we would have had to pay someone else to do it who if they don't own the company, they at that stage they don't care about it as much as you or things just wouldn't have happened and if you're not doing them, your competitors are. Yeah. 
So what else did the what else did the gym give you? What, what, as your body started to respond, yeah. how did it make you feel through the day? I, I definitely. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Started. You know, people call it newbie gains when you when you really get into the gym for the first time. That first six to twelve month of proper training, you notice a lot of physical change, and you know that's just because your body hasn't been doing much, and um, you shock it, so to speak. So yeah, I started seeing you know improvements in strength and endurance and flexibility, mobility. You know, I've always been big into doing functional exercises as well as just, you know, not just trying to lift heavy weights. Mm. So, yeah, I was seeing improvements across the board. Yeah. And how did it affect the way you, you were thinking and the way you were, you know, kind of being in your waking hours? It certainly was making me feel fresher because on the days where I wasn't able to train, I would get a lot more stressed. Um, and I'm not sure whether that was a, res- a physical result of not training or just me mentally knowing that I hadn't trained and the stress associated with missing that session. But nonetheless, if I got my training session in, I felt good. Yeah. And honestly, like from my own experience, as someone who was a runner, I can't run anymore, but if, someone, if I missed a run, yeah, it was bad. Yeah. It was a bad day. Weighs you down. Bad, bad day. <laughs> I would need to, um, early on, uh, I, I discovered that, uh, you know, I know it now, but when if you have a mostly healthy brain, the the hormones and chemicals and things that you need to feel better if you're not feeling great are already in you. You just need to do a particular, you know, amount of work physically and those mm. things will get released get a and release. you will feel better. And that's it. <laughs> it's pretty simple, right? It's pretty simple. Yeah. Now, I was having a shit morning. I'd go out, I'd run uh, like eight, eight laps down soft sand on the beach, come back in, boom. Let's go. Let's go to work. Let's do it. Versus fuck this. Soft sand laps are surprisingly pretty hard, aren't they? They look easy. They're awesome though. Yeah. They're the best ever. Oh, they're so good. Oh, I miss it so much. Oh, I miss it. I miss running a lot, man. I'm grateful I found cycling so I could, you know, get something else. I can still move. I can still got a bit of mobility around that. Uh, So tell me more about uh, you're eating chicken, you're eating salmon, you've got whole foods in there, you're, for all intents and purposes, you are, you know, that's yeah. that's all the Instagrams, all the YouTubes. That's you're doing the thing, man. Like, yeah, why? Think, what happened then? Look, I th- yeah, like from the outside, my you know my close friends and family would definitely probably have thought I was you know out of everyone in, in our group eating the healthiest. Um, so I've, I've always had that sort of eat healthy kind of mentality with what knowledge I know. Yeah, um, and then I guess progressively. Um, into sort of 2015, my brother went vegan. And that was, for me, that was pivotal in, in my own transformation. Older or younger brother? He's older, so he's two years older. 
uh, James. He lives down in Melbourne still. Similar physically active? Yeah, he's very he's physically active. Um, you know, we had a similar childhood. We haven't gone into that, but we grew up. We actually grew up in America. Huh. So we can maybe jump into that later. Oh, that's wild. Yeah. So we, but we, you know, growing growing up in America, we saw, I guess, a lot of fast food, and we're introduced to that sort of stuff. Um, when I say we grew up, we grew up in America until until I was ten. So those formative years, uh, we were around that a lot. Um, so in in 2015, though, he went vegan. And that was based on a fair bit of research at his end and, and listening to a number of different doctors and it was it was a health decision. So I, you know, you know, I, I'm fairly influenced by, by what he does and, and when he does something, usually it's based on research. He's you know, he, he looks into things and reads a lot. So I naturally started to look into it. His fiance at the time had also changed to a vegan diet which if anyone's listening, it does make it easier. It makes it a lot easier when you have someone else hmm. um, next to you who's supporting it and living the same way. And so, you know, myself and my girlfriend, we would spend a bit of time with them and, you know, slowly were introduced to different meals. And yeah, because when you go around in someone's house yeah. and, they, and you sit down and go, oh, is this what it can be? Yeah. Oh, right. Actually, I actually feel really good after I ate that. And that's what I didn't miss. I didn't miss the thing on the plate that I always have there at all. Yeah, so that's what happened. And I think they were really good in terms of not forcing anything at all. So it was like lead by example. They said, "This is what we're doing," um, and we were very open minded in terms of, you know, like you said before. Well, that's you know, if that's if that's your choice to eat like that, that's fantastic. Um, and we took our own time to get our information together, but they definitely led by example. I remember they had a an eggplant, like sort of like a walnut chorizo mincemeat lasagna, Dude. and and that was that was fantastic. And we, I remember walking away from that meal thinking, "Wow, like plants can really taste good." <laughs> and for me, it was then just a case of pulling together the information at my end, and you know, bouncing a lot of things back with my brother and and reading. He, you got to remember that he, he had only just been introduced to it as well. So mm. he's, you know, certainly knows a lot more now. But together we've read a lot of stuff and yeah. shared, shared a lot of stuff together. But as, as, a, sorry, but as a physiotherapy student, uh, the kind of people that, you know, are drawn towards physiotherapy are mostly fairly sporty people. They're all fairly knowledgeable about this goes in. If you do this to your body, this is what happens to it. So it's all, it's, it's yeah. fairly process oriented. So, you're obviously being quite aware. I'm, I'm assuming you're being quite aware of. Mm, I'm eating this much protein. I'm eating this many carbs. Am I going to get what I need? Yeah. Can I do this? Exactly. So, I, without ever being super strict on counting like macronutrients and carbs and protein, certainly was aware of it, and I was certainly aware of you know the role that carbohydrates had and protein had and fat had. I never had bought into the whole can't have any fat, can't have any carb type thing. I knew that. In terms of those macronutrients, they each have an important role in the body. Mm. But I didn't, it wasn't until James had changed his diet that I started to think about well, not so much how much macronutrients I'm having, but what's the source of them. And then, yeah, I guess the the natural extension of that was can I, on a vegan diet, get 
the amount of protein that I need, what are the what are the benefits of moving to a vegan diet from a health perspective? Am I going to stay alive? <laughs> um, you know, is there anything I need to supplement? All that sort of stuff. And mm. I went away, and and I mean, we went away because I did a lot of this research with my girlfriend, and we went away and yeah, just started experimenting with meals and and naturally started feeling better, which was reinforcing a move, you know, from I guess pescatarian to a vegetarian diet where we the only thing we had was eggs and then uh, once we realized that we weren't going to die without eggs we went to a fully plant-based vegan diet did you notice your your body changing were you worried at all i mean obviously you'd I, been at the gym for anyone that follows you on instagram will you know you don't mind getting a shirt off that's yeah. fine i would too if i looked like you um but did you were you worried at all about losing what you'd worked on I I saw it as I definitely would would being honest thought that when I when I moved to the the hundred percent plant based diet I did, wasn't sure whether that was going to be a lifelong change mm-hmm. because I did you know from a personal experience wanted to see what would happen to my body both you know mentally and physically i knew at that stage that the research showed that i would more than likely be healthier long term from a chronic disease point of view and even potentially reversing any signs of chronic disease in internal signs which i probably already had you know like although you get the symptoms of chronic disease in your sort of fourth or fifth decade there's a lot of science out there showing that these things start when you're in your teenage years they're just asymptomatic you know they've done biopsies we were talking about cadavers before, but they've done biopsies of soldiers from the Korean War. I'm not sure if you've, you've seen that, but they these soldiers died of, of wounds in the war and then they did um, autopsies, sorry, not biopsies. They did autopsies and, you know, these guys were sort of average age 21. 70% of them had uh, already had blockages starting of their coronary artery. So we, we've had research for decades and decades showing us that the chronic diseases start early. So I knew in my head that from an internal chronic disease avoidance point of view, I was probably going to be putting my, you know, taking a step in the right direction, so to speak. But I wasn't sold on gym performance, physique. But, I mean, by this stage, a bit older now, so, like, I kind of, my priorities were shifting. Um, You get to a stage where you start to really take your health uh, seriously and not so for granted. So, fortunately, I gave it a go. And... You know, to my surprise, I and, and to other people's surprise, like I've got friends who were like, you're not going to last. You won't last. And I guarantee they're like, they made me stand up in front of the wall and said, we're taking a photo of you now. We'll take a photo in a year, two years, three years. You know, and now like they all like, wow, this is, this is crazy that you've been able to maintain or build. Like I've built, you know, size. I'm not a bodybuilder by any means, but I don't want to be. So I don't eat in huge volumes to put on lots of size but my physique has definitely improved it's extraordinary extraordinary and what do those people that doubted you say you know the i guess initially the the guys that were skeptical were it was just more so that they they thought you couldn't get protein from plant-based diet and i'd say that over you know the three years or so these, these are the same people that have then become really intrigued and curious and receptive and once the information's out there, I'm, I'm not the type of person that likes to confront people and start an argument. It's put the information out. If they want to, they, when they're ready, 
they'll come and ask me a question. Right. And, you know, nine out of ten people ask me a lot of questions who I would have thought who would have never asked about eating legumes. This is interesting because I've, I've been eating this way since 2002, all right? Yeah, wow. So, um, but I've, I've always found people always, they looked at me like I had two heads. <laughs> people, in fact, were way more freaked out when I told them I didn't eat meat than that I don't drink. Yeah, that's all crazy. Right? That is crazy. Uh, well, yeah. But now, uh, because it's a lot more familiar now, it's, uh, it's, it's kind of different. In fact, you're the... I've done 231 episodes of this show, 232 by now. You're the second person that I've had on because I just don't want to, you know, push it so hard. But at some, I don't know, this is a point in my life now where I'm like, fuck it, you know, I just feel amazing because I eat the way I eat and I'm 44 and... And uh, you look like you're about 30. <laughs> well, I cheat. I don't, I don't drink and do drugs anymore and, I, you know, I, I eat vegan, so it's yeah. all, which we'll talk about in a moment. But um, I don't know if you had this issue, but when I first started changing the way I ate, both my parents being doctors, come Christmas time, come home visits, dude, I had to show up with blood tests. I don't know if you had that too. Uh, look, you know, my, my dad, you know, certainly asked a lot of questions. And but you know he was he he knows that I would be doing blood tests and mm. you know I was I'm pretty I guess I did a lot of research and so did my brother so I don't think they were too worried that we were just sort of jumping into it. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, and my mum she's she's now like, as of last week she was probably ninety five percent plant based and last week she's like I've cut it all out. So, wow! So she's she's you know now veganess i guess so yeah. um she's just naturally followed suit and same with the meals we've been preparing and you know feeling a lot better from uh we, we talked a bit about you know how much you've been reading and like there's a lot of stuff mm. out there a lot of stuff out there like i had a i had to have a conversation the other day again about soy isoflavones with someone yeah the other day it's like just because it has the suffix estrogen doesn't make it a human yeah. you know, it's like uh, scholar.google.com is an incredible place, and I highly recommend everyone goes there because that's where truth lies. That's right. Okay, not on a Facebook post. Yeah, there's, um, <laughs> so, there's, yeah. there's a lot of hidden agendas, and you got to you got to. Can we talk a bit about that? Can we talk a bit about hidden agendas? Because when it does come to, to to research, I mean, from from what I gather, you and I've heard you correct yourself a few times. You say vegan or plant based. Yeah. Because uh, I understand there's a political implication yeah. that comes with calling yourself vegan. I've only yeah. I've. I just said I just eat plants. I try yeah. not to say too much that I'm vegan because, um, t- to be honest, my where I stand from it, it's like I'm grateful I don't have to kill anything so that I can live. That's nice. Um, but my my choice has always been based on there's this much food that other people could eat that we're feeding the livestock. That's a waste. There's this much water mm. that other people could drink that we're using in factory farming. That's a waste. There's this much land that we use that could st- still be like carbon-sucking rainforest, man. Let's leave it there. Like, like that's where I've stood. If I'm healthier because of it, ace. You know, yeah. <laughs> that's that's kind of where I've always come from when it comes this way. But you know, over the years, I I can't count how many times I've said no to you know animal rights stuff because yeah. I'm more interested in humans. <laughs> yeah, which is, I honest. mean, every, everyone has their own take yeah, on it. But that's like, where I stand, and yeah. good for that, man. Good yeah, for exactly. Them. And and everyone's you know entitled to their own sort of approach with, yeah. with being a vegan or plant-based. I kind of use the words interchangeably. I know that there, um, they, there is a difference, but I feel like a lot of the public still don't understand the true difference. Mm. So 
Um, you know, plant-based I've seen being used for various diets, which still include small amounts of animal products. Yeah. And I just like to to interchange and use vegan here and there because people yeah. definitely associate that with no yeah. animal products. Um, in terms of where I sit, it was it was certainly uh, initially a very personal health yeah. style decision, which is fine, but. I would say that I've certainly become more conscious of the impact on the environment and yeah. animals, and that's an added bonus. You know, I feel like if my footprint's less and I'm not resulting, I don't have to eat something that had to die for me, then great. But it all did start from a health perspective. Yeah. And so when it comes to the health perspective, and, and uh, you said you grew up in the States and I, I, I lived there for, for about 10 years, um, when you look at the, the healthcare costs, that happen later in life, the sa- the life savings that you will get to then spend on your grandchildren instead of having stents put in later in life yeah. is astronomical. Yeah, it's incredible. I mean, I, one of the biggest questions I get is, well, but eating a plant-based diet is so expensive. And it's just, to your point, educating that, well, you're not going to be in hospital with all the bills later on. You're not going to require the surgery. So it's, you know, spend the money now and feel good or spend it later because if you eat what everyone around you is eating and they're, the, they're having heart attacks and cancers, lifestyle cancers and type 2 diabetes, well, you're likely to get it as well. <laughs> that's, 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 and I know you wouldn't say that as hyper, hyperbole. You know, you're, you're, you're saying something like but And that's, I don't know how much a stint costs, probably in the hundreds of thousands of dollars to get it, to yeah. get it, to get it put in. I know guys that have had three, mm. you know, um, and yes, you can eat plant-based. You can go full organic mega yeah. or you can do what I do and go to the Chinese grocery in Anamaruba and just, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. You don't, it doesn't have to be super expensive. No. It might cost a tiny, it might cost a little bit more. But when you look at the, the long-term cost, I mean, are you going to go on your big grey nomad trip overseas when you're 70 and be terrified of the steps in the cathedral in Europe? Or are you going to go, fuck yeah, let's go, I'll race you to the top? Mm. You know, what life do you want to have when you're, when, you're, when you're an older person? You know, and like that's the cost. That's the cost of eating burgers. That's the cost of eating steaks. That's it. And um, I think I looked at the stats yesterday and obviously these are American statistics, but the diet's not too dissimilar and the data's relatively similar and it's every 34 seconds someone's having a heart attack. Holy shit. That's pretty crazy. And those heart attacks mostly are caused by lifestyle-related yeah. choices. Yeah, what people are eating. I mean, they, they, they say the chronic disease, about 20% of that is, you know, your genetic fate. And the other 80% is, you know, if we hear about epigenetics and the expression of genes and that's, you know, the expression of a gene is affected by lifestyle choices. Right. So people... By now, they've been listening to this. They've got, they're on their phones. They're on a podcast. They've seen your Instagram and they go, holy shit, this food looks amazing. Done, not a bad rig. Uh, I'm curious. Yeah. What's the next thing they do? Well, I think the next thing that, that I say to do is usually to continue education. So if you, a lot of people, if they jump in and they don't have the education and say they, over you know, the first couple of weeks, they don't get a great result because they haven't done all the information in terms of what foods they, if they're going to take out certain animal products, what are you going to put in? When I first started doing Idol and then it first started coming out and like at the press that I didn't eat meat, people would come up to me and go, oh yeah, I went vegan, but then my hair fell out. Yeah. Yes, because you can't just eat lettuce. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, just 
like it's like anything. You've got to educate yourself. Yeah. And the more educated you are, the more confident you become with it. And the better job you do of your, you know, looking after your own health. And we spoke about it, can it be expensive? There's a lot of transition style foods out there, which, you know, are a little bit more processed, but they serve a great purpose in terms of getting, you know, your mock meats and all that sort of stuff. And they, I tend to see that initially a lot of people go to those because it does help them. It does help them transition. A lot of those products have fortified vitamins and things in there. It is a little more expensive though than just eating whole plant foods. Yeah. But yeah, it starts with education. Yeah. So uh, is it, you know, people obviously don't have to go full no. Full vegan straight away, right? No, no, no. I, I mean, we, we call that cold kale. <laughs> do, you, do you want to go cold kale or not? <laughs> um, Rather than cold turkey. Yeah. Like making the switch one day to the next, yeah? <laughs> so I think, again, it comes down to personality and what you want to do. What Ultimately, the your transition is the best transition is the one that is going to be best adhered and most sustainable for you. So if you're the type of person who just needs to jump straight into it, do the research, jump straight into it, and don't look back. You will, you'll feel great. You do it right. You change the right foods. You'll feel fantastic. You'll thrive, and you'll be very happy with your decision. If you're the type of person that doesn't have the time to do all the research, you need to slowly do it, then, yeah, just focus on one little food group or one meal a week and slowly do it until you get your confidence up and you will naturally start to feel better. And then the more you move out, the better you'll feel again. And eventually, you know, we see with most people, it's that pescatarian to vegetarian to vegan. And that's that's pretty typical of a lot of people's transition. Mine was slow. Mine was maybe eight years. And there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm, I'm a realist and not everyone's going to be vegan. But if you can eat more plants, it's definitely not going to increase your chances of chronic disease. <laughs> you know? Where do we stand on? Uh, I mean, I guess once, and I don't know, you know, I've, I've seen you talk about this is that once I started eating this way, I just looked at food marketing in an entirely different way. Yeah, um, where we are all consumers yeah. and we're all very impressionable. Different stages of our lives, we can be more impressionable than others, you know, when we're kids. We're very impressionable. We're learning a lot of things for the first time. And, you know, doing research and being skeptic hasn't really come to, I guess, fruition, so to speak, as a being a, a person. So, like, things like dairy and eggs as a kid, you know, particularly growing up, like, in the 70s or 80s type of time, we were, we, we just thought that was normal. And there are the big, there are big, big marketing campaigns out there to just make you think that certain foods are healthy and that you need them. And what do you say to those marketing campaigns? I say good on you. Like, you know, like at the end of the day, whether I agree with their values or beliefs, they're marketing, right? And there's a lot of stuff even outside of food where brands are paying money, they have a lot of money, and they're trying to change the way you think and consume. And that's, we live in a consumer, like our world is driven by consumers. And you're never going to have all companies with the best intentions of you as a person. They're trying, they're driving a P&L, their balance sheet. It's just the nature of the game. There's competition. But what I say is that consumers need to be smarter. So you're never, ever going to get away from having these big marketing campaigns. You follow the money. 
it's what happens, you know. But what's happening now is we're becoming smarter and as we become smarter, they have to change their campaigns. They have to adapt. You've seen the biggest, one of the biggest dairy companies in America called Elmhurst has stopped making cow milk and only now makes plant milk. You know, that's sending a big, strong message to the world. When it comes to researching, when it comes to these big companies, how aware do we have to be on who is behind the research? Like, where, where does the tinfoil hat have to come on? Uh, look, it's incredibly challenging for, you know, the everyday person who, if you're not dedicating your life to, to reading up on this stuff and following the money, then, look, you can, there's certain documentaries and whatnot that are out there which are trying to highlight things and, and help your everyday person understand it. But there's just there's so much noise out there. One of one of the, the really really big tactics of big companies who are selling animal products is to cause confusion. You mentioned soy before. You know the soy studies that are, that talk about the isoflavones or phytoestrogens being negative. They're they're really bad quality studies. But the marketing that has been behind the message has been you know fueled by companies with incredibly deep pockets and hitting impressionable people. And that's when you get Chinese whispers and the whispers keep going until they become reality and everyone believes it. So I think for an average sort of consumer, if you're not researching it every day, the documentary is a good place just to look at some, some high-level stuff. Such as documentaries? Uh, such as? Look, like, you know, what the health. There's cowspiracy, which isn't for everybody. Some people can sort of be a little bit caught off guard with that sort of documentary. But what the hell, there's a new one, Eating You Alive, which is just about to come out. I saw the premiere in New York. It's not out in Australia yet. That one is has been put together by James Cameron, the director. Wow. And so he's invested his time and money and energy into this because he believes in it. The documentary, for me, is probably the most powerful one yet because it focuses – on the science and and roots, getting real people in who have chronic disease and showing their outcomes, um, and not so much just sort of hypotheticals or analogies like what the health. You know, a lot of people that have sort of debunked it have gone right into all of the analogies and how exaggerated parts of it are. But I feel like eating you alive is a little more palatable. See what you did there? Yeah. It's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> That well, so that that sort of stuff is because I mean I think this is the way this is the kind of what 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 drew me to you and what what you're doing at the moment is that um, you do you do make you know bold statements and then you go and here's the research paper you know and that sort yeah. of stuff because I and I've talked about this on the show before like I've I've done my time with yeah. you know going to a healer in the backyard with the wind chimes and it smells like patchouli and someone puts their hands on me and I'm supposed to feel yeah. better like in my twenties I was down down for that. But having been through what I've been through with my mental health and stuff like that, I need science, man. I need peer-reviewed hmm. and I need it to be this. I know I have to know this shit is true, all right? And so and I think that's what, for me, like when you can like have faith in that the scientific process and, and have faith in like the very same thing that allows me to use this phone to write on Twitter that I don't believe you exists because of the same process that proved this thing over here to be true mm. you know it's uh that, that sort of thing is really really important uh for me and when it comes to convincing skeptical people about their health choices and stuff like that it's this is why why i'm grateful that you're here um there's a lot of wacky stuff out on instagram there's a yeah. lot of there's a lot of people making all kinds yeah. of claims on instagram what's the you know and, and let's face it like that's where most people get their information that's yeah. where most people get their news you know you don't watch the six o'clock news to talk about nutrition you 
yeah, you exactly. follow, oh, this person has colourful bowls. Mm. I, will, I will click them. How do you discern what's real and what's not real when it comes to, you know, Instagram and stuff like well, that? I mean, on Instagram, there there are some some content sort of influencers who are credible people who, you know, various doctors and stuff that are on there. But most of the content that I definitely get is not from Instagram. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's from journal articles and mm-hmm. speaking with cardiologists in America um, and, and Australia speaking with doctors here. But most of the doctors, I've got personal relationships with physicians and cardiologists in America yeah. who I'd be messaging daily, weekly and, you know, asking them questions and learning from them. Yeah. particularly common questions I get. If I don't know the answer, I don't guess, and I don't make something up. I look for the science. If the science is there, I explain it in a simple way for someone to understand. If I can't find it, I go to people who I know uh, potentially might already be across the issue, and then I delve into it with them. It's a fucking great way to be, man. It's not a lot of people have that position. Yeah. <laughs> You know, and I'm not making money off of what I'm doing through through Plant Proof, and I think that's probably working in my favour because I don't feel the desire to put anything out out there unless I actually believe in it from a making a difference point of view. It's not like I need to sell something. Um, so I think that resonates with people. What's the difference you want to make? Well, I just see, you know, a lot of people who, you know, are ignorant, so to speak, not through anyone's fault at all other than just being, you know, impressionable from from marketing. And and I think that people have the right to know the, the truth behind what is, you know, healthy nutrition so that they can avoid chronic disease because no doubt they're not making their food choices knowing that they're causing chronic disease. It's just that they don't know. And, you know, I genuinely feel sorry for someone who doesn't know what to eat and is actually, you know, has asymptomatic or has symptoms inside internally that are asymptomatic of chronic disease and they're setting themselves up for less years with their family. They're setting themselves up for going in and having surgery. They're going to miss out on their 70s and 80s decades of travel and stuff like we spoke about. Um, and it's just an unnecessarily, unnecessary sort of burden on the healthcare system. It's life's a cut shorter and, you know, what greater feeling than to be able to help people live longer lives with less medication and be happier. It's pretty simple. <laughs> <laughs> well, you mentioned, you mentioned the health, healthcare system and, and uh, through my experience in the States, it's very, you know, the, the, the fundamental economic theory behind it is very different. It's like your choice leads you to your burden financially, all right? So uh, you've got heart disease and you're in your 40s and you don't have any health insurance, bad luck. Good luck. Sit on the couch. You're going to die. Here, we rock up to a public health hospital that our tax dollars pay for. So for me, what you're talking about has so much more significance on, like, how do do you see as far as policy goes in in a country that has a public health system like ours? How do you see, what what would your ideal kind of scenario be? Do you want to make a difference as far as policy goes in this country? I think, you know, policies should definitely, can, can definitely change in the future but as a as a society naturally the health burden can be reduced if i feel like the this the real there's two things to this to this question from my point of view follow the money and we can see who is 
you know, you've got to follow the money. There's, there's policies that probably aren't changing or won't change based on money. That can be from lobbyists or companies in Australia which have a real significant amount of control. And we, we, you know, these things are they're real and it happens. Um, and then, secondly, the the top down approach from an education, like medical physicians, they they're not trained. That is, there's not enough hours in their course to get a lot of nutrition um, schooling from an academic point of view. And if we want to reduce the healthcare burden, medical practitioners are like a primary. They're the primary person that someone goes to and believes. You know, I'm doing a master's in nutrition, but in reality, most people believe what their doctor says, that's the person they see for checkups. So for me, yes, there can be policy changes and we probably need to look at that, but being proactive means educating the medical, the doctors, the ones that are seeing people before they get chronic disease or if they have chronic disease, educating the patients. And I know they only get 15 minutes in consultation, so this is challenging. It's challenging, right? This is challenging. There's a whole lot of challenges here, but if if the the doctors are, uh, are I'm not going to say better educated because it's it's just like it's not really part of their course, and it's not any doctor's fault. They learn an incredible amount of information in four years or something, right? So they've got to work out a how to fit into the curriculum. Does that mean nudging something out? Well, I don't know if they can do that. So they'll have to work that out, and there are people looking at that. Um, and then once they, they know more, they can pass more information on to people. People eat more plants or less processed meats. You know, like the Cancer, Cancer Council in Australia, I mean, uh, sorry, the World Health Organization has classified processed red meats as a class one carcinogenic, right? But these these are still sold in Seven Eleven and 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 grocery stores and whatnot. And to the average person, they're just not aware of this information. You know, they're eating that two three times a day. But so something that should be in the cigarette aisle. You know, like that's the analogy that people use. And then you know that's a class one carcinogenic, which means that it has been shown to cause cancer. But then the, you've got uh, red meat, so not processed, just red meat, which they have classified whether it's where regardless of the source it comes from as a class two which means probably causes cancer so it doesn't they don't know that it 100 percent does but they say probably and that's the cancer council in australia that's the world health organization more people just need to be aware of things like that yeah um it's pretty crazy that you still see those products on the shelf yeah so i think yeah two-pronged approach to changing policy one is educating the medical profession more following the money and then I mean, ultimately, you need to have the money to sort of challenge them. So I think it's going to be some of that's going to be tough and play out over decades. But that's also, I mean, if you look at it, if you want to look at another economic, you know, model where the other, I, mean, I guess the other way to attack this is if the consumer then starts to shift. And you, the, the the simple way to look at that would be like, look what happened to Foxtel's business model once Game of Thrones came out and torrenting. Like they had to, they had to give an online option. They had to give a quality, yeah. cheap online option because they were losing so much money yeah. because that's what the consumer wanted. Yeah, well, and, you know, you've probably heard people say your dollar is your vote, right? Truly. You vote every time you buy something. That is your say. It's it's really – we think that our dollars don't matter, but they do. And, um, you know, like a spinoff of the doctors educating people more and they're spending their money in the right areas and collectively, you know, we just spoke about Elmhurst, the company in America, they're changing from dairy to now only plant-based milks. You know, there might be an ethical component in that. But no doubt it is because if you look at the rise of plant milk consumption, they're looking at the data. 
And it, that's, it's a great point that you make because as consumers, if we change the data, we change what brands, companies are looking at what we're consuming. If, we, if our behaviours change, they will have to adapt and they will because, you know, one of their biggest priorities, if not their, their highest priority, is profit and loss statement. Mm. And you look at you can see it happening in the states. And I know that we are a, we're a microcosm, but a very you know we're a similar community. We're not a perfect community. It's an analogy to the states, but we're about a tenth of the size, maybe a little, maybe a seventh of the size. Uh, no, fifteenth of the size. Point seven is one. Never mind math. <laughs> Small. We're twenty five million. They're three hundred. Um, but we do follow in their steps a lot. And you look at something as gigantuan as Costco. And Walmart, like, I think Walmart is the, the 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 largest purveyor of organic groceries in America now. Mm-hmm. All right, and this wow. is where America goes to get their food. So yes, people are getting uh, a, a hot dog, a turkey hot dog wrapped in a coconut choc chip, deep fried on a stick in a frozen box, which I've seen, and it's wild. But that's a meal over there. But there's also an aisle over there with you know, organic food. So so it, 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 there does seem to be a shift going on at the moment um having this conversation with you and and on, honestly and seeing the work that you do always makes me hungry uh people would be listening right now and i would love it if you was like what's a super simple recipe that we can talk sure. people through now that they might be able to put yeah. together and go this will be my lunch today or this will be my dinner tonight or okay. this will, i'm going to make this for my family i i'm a big big one on making butter bowls for particularly for anyone who's new to this kind of um way of eating and a really, a really good recipe, one that I love, is a tempeh butter bowl. So tempeh is a, a legume-based, I guess, protein source, but also carbohydrates. Um, it originated in Indonesia, and you can you can buy it in, in supermarkets in America, Australia. It's like a primitive tofu. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a little less unprocessed than tofu. I still eat tofu, but um, just in terms of explaining it, tempeh is slightly less processed. There is soy tempeh. You can get chickpea tempeh. You can get black bean tempeh now. And it, it's very versatile. So you can, I'll, I'll, I'll explain to you how to make the bowl, but you will see on you know menus at certain cafes and establishments, they're now doing tempeh burgers, mm. tempeh wraps. You can, you can do it into cubes. You can slice it. You can do a whole heap of stuff with it. You can even do like tempeh meatballs. You can roll it up kind of thing. So, Really versatile. The great thing about it is it can, unlike um, tofu, it's it's a live product. It's cultured. It contains probiotics in there, which is great for your your gut. And so, in terms of how I would usually prepare the tempeh, is you can slice it into just thin slices, or you can cube it. Mm-hmm. it comes in like a slab. It's like a three hundred gram slab, so it's enough for sort of a couple of people to eat. So you can sort of chop it up, you get two serves out of it, slice it up. I usually will uh, cube it if I'm going to put it on the pan and I'll season it with sort of like smoked paprika, cumin, um, cayenne pepper, a bit of salt, bit of like Himalayan uh, sea salt, bit of pepper, and cook it up in the pan. So sort of pan fry it, not too much oil. I'm not huge on oil. I do um, I do cook with it, but not, not huge on it. I don't go overboard. And if I do cook, I usually cook with olive oil. In terms of the other option is if you don't want to cube it you, you and use oil, you can also thinly slice it, season it, and then bake it. Bake it for about 15 minutes on sort of 200 degrees Celsius, flip it halfway, it'll go really crispy. And so it's a really nice way. So you can mix and match, sometimes cube it, pan fry it, other times bake it. Anyway, 
that's going to go on the top of your Buddha bowl. So you need to create your base. Now, your base can be anything from brown rice, wild rice, quinoa, whatever. So choose um, a grain. I recommend unrefined grains where possible. They have more fiber. So, um, you know, and, and fiber is particularly important in terms of there's a number of benefits in terms of lowering cholesterol, assisting with your gut microbiome digestion. So it's really important that you're getting enough fiber. Then, so you've got your base there. So you cook that up. You're going to put that into the bowl first. You've already, you've got your tempeh, which is going to go on. Then we need to be thinking about what sort of vegetables we're going to add to this. Now, I'm, you know, you probably, if you, if you have seen my feed, I recommend at least a couple serves of dark leafy greens every day. That if you're eating, you know, 100% plant based, even if you're not, these greens are loaded with calcium, iron, very important. Um, minerals. So that's just like a spinach or a yeah, kale. Spinach, or... kale in America. Um, there's a lot of uh, collard greens. Yeah. So things like that. Anyway, you can you can have those either raw or just lightly sort of flash fried as well. Um, I actually recommend mixing that up. So sometimes cook them, sometimes don't. You'll get um, benefits either way or different benefits each time. And in terms of then I'll, I'll add probably like a broccoli to that or maybe mm-hmm. a cauliflower mix that up. Uh, in terms of what I add, so you've got your you've got your greens on there. You've got your uh, unrefined grains. You've got your legumes and your tempeh. Then I, pr- I might put some sauerkraut or kimchi on there, and potentially, depending how hungry I am, I will put either like a hemp seeds over the top, or and or cashew cheese. So you can you know you can make your own cashew cheese. Really, really simple way to do that. You can check out it's on my website. So there's millions of recipes online, and you can put that over the top, and um, you're ready to go. Man, that sounds tasty, <laughs> tasty. What are you going to have for lunch today? I might even make that when I leave. But um, <laughs> yeah, I'm, my girlfriend, lucky. My girlfriend's a fantastic cook, and well, that's uh, how I found you. Yeah, she she looks after me. Well, that, that's how I found oh, you. Oh, really? I found you through your girlfriend's company. Yeah, so she's got a little uh, business well, down in Boulder. We, li- we live in a we live in a part of the world where a nice a nice young man or woman will arrive on a on a scooter and deliver your food. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I. I oh, so you fall within the uh, the delivery radius. The, the, the small delivery radius oh, of your girlfriend's company and uh, a conscious feast. Yeah, and uh, yeah, a bowl showed up here when I was like, "This is fucking amazing." Yeah, <laughs> and then I found the I found the logo, and that's how uh, that's how. I Found you. That's how you got here. Yeah, I, I've actually uh, worked with her. We've got a plant-proof bowl now on that. That's menu. the one I ordered. Yeah, so that's got very, the tempeh. It was very good. Yeah, <laughs> so that's got a bit of chickpea tempeh in there. It's um, it's a nice bowl. Why do you want to do? Why do you want to do masters in nutrition? What are you? Uh, what are you laying the foundation for there? It's a mixture of things. I mean, personally, I'd love. You want you want to come in with you want to come in packing a punch. You don't want to just be like a guy. I'm just saying shit. You're like, no, 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 no. Yeah, I have I have strong things I'm standing on here. Yeah, exactly. I mean, obviously, uh, finishing well, finishing the masters is good from a credibility point of view. But I think, from a personal point of view, if I can make it the biggest impact I can make, I think I need to understand what is being taught. Not, I know I knew going into the course that I wouldn't necessarily agree with everything, starting with the food pyramid <laughs> and working my way through the entire course. But there are certainly bits and pieces of the course which I found incredibly useful um and then there are bits that have sort of highlighted why as a society we we eat like we do um and you know once i finish the course i'm sure we'll learn a lot more about what's being taught out there and that'll just help me with my approach 
Uh, we're, we're coming close to the end. And you said the food pyramid. We are familiar with the food pyramid. What's wrong with the food pyramid? Well, I think, you know, if, actually, I remember my PE book in year 10, and it, it actually recommended Coca Cola after sport. After sport had Coca Cola. And I actually think if anyone's listening and, and they, they're doing PE in high school, let me know if Coca Cola's still in there. That was in Melbourne. And a friend reminded me of that not long ago. And I look back on it now and I just wonder whether that was paid for or not. But Oh, dude, it had to be. <laughs> Here, kid, have this massive dose of caffeine and 13 individual servings of sugar. Yeah. Way you go. Um, yeah. So, I mean, but in terms of the actual food pyramid, there's. This, you know, I think it's Finland has completely, it's Finland, they've completely changed their food pyramid and now they've put the meats and stuff down down near processed food, down near the bottom, like down near the stuff that you have the least of um, in terms of importance. Actually, they took it out and put it to the side, but it's, it's down near the bottom. They don't say don't have it, but they say really try and avoid it. Um, but, yeah, I think the food pyramid just, you know, doesn't necessarily need to be 100% plant-based like I said before, but it just needs to make people you know, understand that they should be placing greater emphasis on plant-based foods in their diet. <laughs> Mate, I'm so grateful you made the time to come over. I know you've had it. You've been traveling your ass off the last couple of weeks. So yeah. I'm so grateful you made the time to come around, man. Thank you very much for having me. It's been me. great to have you here, man. Thank you so much. It's been great to meet you. All Cheers. right, buddy. I'm going to take your photo, all right? Yeah. Okay, cool. That is Simon Hill. You can find him at plantproof on Instagram, and you can also go visit his brand new website, plantproof.com. I'm really grateful that Simon made the time to come and visit the show. He's a fantastic guy, an incredible guy to be inspired by. For me, I'm really inspired by a journey like that. And um, yeah, he's a, he's a top cat. Good guy. Good to have in your life. He's got a podcast too, Plant Proof Podcast. You can find it in the place where you're listening to this one. It's right in the same thing phone, tablet, laptop. One of you that listens on a laptop. And someone listens on a desktop. Someone sent me a photo of them listening on a desktop the other day. It's wild. Uh, but yeah, thanks so much for everyone. Um, I'll see you on the Facebook group, the Osher Ginsberg Podcast. Just go and find it. Like I said, if there's five of us, we'll have a chat this week and that'll be interesting. But we'll see what happens. Um, a big thank you to Andy Ma, Haley Van Spania, and Toe Hider who helped me make this show. Andy was kind enough to go to the Australian Podcast Awards the other night where this show was a finalist, uh, but we didn't win. But that's okay. Andy was ready to go with an acceptance speech that I texted him 10 minutes before. Um, <laughs> thank you, Andy Ma, my producer, Haley Van Spania, my producer, and Toe Hider for the great music. If you need me through the week, uh, send us your email at gmail.com. I love you. Thanks for listening. Have a fantastic, fantastic week. Until we speak next time, sleep well and dream of beautiful things. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.